Good afternoon. Welcome to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. As we look at the markets today, we saw some higher numbers in the corn and the wheat. It was a bit lower taking place in the beans. I stand corrected. It was mixed on the wheat because Minneapolis saw some negativity on the trade. But some interesting factors that we are going to look at for today, and this is one of those days I wish we had a crystal ball to be able to tell us what's going to happen in the next couple of months. And we'll get into the reasoning with that as we are being Joined today with Sean Hackett. He's with Hackett Financial Advisors. And Sean, really to start out with, you mentioned it before we started this, the volatility that we're going to have in this trade as we've officially entered pre-election madness. Yeah, I mean, it, it's going to be really, really wild. I mean, just you could just, just think of this, what the stock market is doing today you know, versus what it did on Friday, just as an example, right? Um, big down, big up. You know, we're going to see a lot of that. But we think there's going to be more down than up, meaning, meaning when the market gets worried about an outcome, if it's not sure who's going to win the election, if it's not sure what the rules of engagement are going to be, you as an investor, you as somebody who has capital that's putting them in our futures markets or in the stock market or in asset markets, you're going to take some chips off the table and, and be a little more conservative. And so we think that risk-off trade, which has been kind of with us you know, for the last couple of weeks, we, we think it's going to continue at least into the end of, you know, to the latter part of October before most people will likely have taken off the table what they want to to weather the storm. And then it's up to us to try to determine when do they rush back in when they see that the coast is clear. So having said that, are we going to have a wait-and-see attitude? We've heard so many guys wondering, do we sell off the combine? Do we store it and wait? Is that going to kind of set the tone for what we're going to see? Well, I mean, typically, you know, when harvest gets going, as it's starting to get going now, we expect a record pace of a harvest this year in the U.S. with warm, dry conditions for most of October and all of November. Um, you know, we're going to have some harvest pressure. We're going to have some bushels that can't be stored, that need to be sold off the combine. And, and of course, with the rally in prices we've had, you know, that those bushels are going to come to the marketplace. But, you know, we feel that we would only be looking – uh, short-term, more short-oriented kind of sales, those bushels you need to sell. We're now really thinking, Susan, that this is a you know major opportunity to go out for the next year or two and, and get a bunch down. We, we think there's going to be a lot more potential for upside as we move in uh, to 2021 when, when, when this political situation is resolved and money comes rushing back in. And we think that the, a major La Nina year next year, remember this year was pre-La Nina, but a major La Nina here means all kinds of weather uh, problems for the U.S. and for Russia, which um, historically have catalyzed the markets much higher over the summer growing season. So we, we'd be more short-term oriented to keep those bushels longer term in the bin right now. So as we look at, I mean, I know here we're wrapping up on our harvest and... Our, excuse me, right now we're kind of continuing with the harvest, but we're wrapping up on this fall-like weather, switch gears to South America, and they're trying to get the crop planted, and Mother Nature's not being real nice to them. No, you know, they're, they're, they're dealing with some significant dry uh, weather, and, and that dry weather looks like it's going to be with us, you know, well into the end of October at least, Susan. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a typical pre-lining pattern, and it's, um, it's something we warned about. You know, we wrote a, our weather forecast in August of this year, warning about a very dry planting season for South America, and it's happening. But but the market doesn't typically react to that yet, Susan. It, once you get into November, and it can assess what did get planted, what didn't, and whatever did get planted, how is it looking, you know, that's when the market begins to start dialing in, you know, 
what could we be looking at here? So we still think a little early to trade dry weather in Brazil, but definitely something on the watch list for later, you know, later on in October. Winter wheat issues. Speaking of weather, we know that's been a big struggle as well in Russia. Yeah, the Russian situation is actually, in our view, the big clear and present danger weather situation at the moment. They are trying to get their winter wheat crop planted, and they've just not gotten any rain. They've had the third driest uh, planting season so far in 50 years. We don't see really any hope or much hope for any real change to that. They go into dormancy from late October to mid-November, and if that crop can't get planted, it doesn't get established, and it goes into dormancy, I mean, that's it. What you have is what you get, and then you hope you have good weather the rest of the way. Our view right now is that 25% of the acreage uh, may not set, meaning may not establish, or may not get planted. Um, and that means that we have a zero. Uh, you know, that's abandonment acres that don't produce anything. And so we're really, really worried that if we get into the latter part of October and we go into dormancy and that's the situation, we could have – a, a pretty wild situation in our hands with the winter wheat market having to price in the potential for a substantially lower crop uh, in the number one exporter in the world for winter wheat. So, so that's really something I would be keeping my eye on if I was a producer of wheat for you know some upside here and, and, and for maybe a selling opportunity once the market prices that all in later on this year. Do you see any concerns um, with dryness here in the states as well? having some influence on this winter wheat and prices globally? We do have this, we do have a hot, I mean, we do have a dry, dry uh, pattern here for winter wheat as well. Not as bad as Russia, but it's not good. This is a cl- classic La Nina pattern, Susan. I mean, we talked about how this winter wheat's one of the worst, cro- worst crops for handling La Nina is a winter wheat crop. We're even more concerned about the springtime. When we come out of dormancy in the U.S., when we come out of dormancy in Russia with poorly established crops, uh, crops not in great condition, and potentially crops that could have been impacted by some you know, winter kill, um, and we get a hot, dry spring like we think we're going to get, you know, winter wheat production, you only have to look at 2010-11, Susan, the last time we had one of these like this, and you know, we had the winter wheat crop you know, uh, just decimated in Russia. It, it dropped in half, and I believe the U.S. crop you know, was down by over 25%. So so it's, it, it, it could really be a significant driver, not only for winter wheat, but for the whole grain markets, as you know, one leads to the other, leads to the other, leads to the other. We come back, we're going to take a look at the happenings of this dairy industry and a lot more. It's the Fontenelle Final Bell on the Rural Radio Network. Welcome back to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. As we continue our conversation with Sean Hackett. And Sean, we love it when we, we have you on the air because we get to dive in a little bit to what's been happening in that dairy industry. And as you look at where we've got things going on, I see from maybe some of our earlier conversation, again, some ties to what's going to happen election-wise and, and end of December when some money runs out. Yeah, I mean, it was it was clear that the government decided to help dairy farmers out at the beginning of the, you know, in, in the springtime when things, when they were dumping milk everywhere, as you know, it was devastating. Um, but we think it have gone too far. And what I, we think it's become a political issue where they've continued to help the dairy farmers and buy cheese more so because of trying to, we think to buy votes. I know the president was in Wisconsin not too long ago, you know, a very, very important dairy state. And, 
talked about how they, they were going to continue to buy cheese right into the election. So, so the problem with that is that's fine, but you've told dairymen to produce a lot more cheese and a lot more milk with demand that is not what we call the real market. It's a um, artificial buyer that may or may not be there post-election, and if they and if they're if they decide to pull the plug or shift that program to less purchases, we think there could be a really ugly waterfall decline in dairy prices as we move into the first quarter, and we worry, you know, that that is something that maybe uh, dairymen are not prepared for uh, because we've, we've had a, a kind of a comfortable period in the summer and the fall of price has been good because the government continues to buy. Um, and so we certainly would be wanting to protect that first half 21 milk price. There's a lot of ways to do that. There's DRP, there's put options, there's a lot of different ways that producers can can do that. But we certainly wouldn't want to bet that the government's going to continue to buy dairy and cheese after the elections. We would be betting at some kind of a hangover, we would think. We had two reports uh, that came out end of last week on, on Thursday, we had the quarterly hogs and pigs report. Then on Friday, we had the cattle on feed report. As you look at a Monday trade and, and the happenings we saw within this livestock complex, influence of those reports today? You know, I mean, I don't think anyone was surprised about the cattle on feed report. I mean, we had that bearish cattle on feed report the last time, the last one before this one. And then everybody realized that our cattle on feed numbers are going to be good for a while. So I think the market kind of figured this would be another big number, and it was. So they didn't, we didn't get much of a reaction. Um, at the same time, in the, in, the, in the pigs report, in the last report, we were told we have a, we have a lot of pigs, um, and so there's, and so we had, this report said we have a lot of pigs. Obviously, the only thing that to us that was noteworthy is that uh, the number of pigs uh, that were of, of a high weight were up extremely high from last year. I mean, it was, it was a dramatic increase in heavyweight uh, pigs. And so we worry that maybe what's been going on here is that, that maybe not as much of the euthanizations was taking place as many believed that maybe a lot of these pigs were just held back, fed more, got bigger, and now that the packing houses can take care of this are now coming to the market, which means we may have more pork available per head than we otherwise would have thought. And we think that could be a, a problem uh, for the hog market, especially after this rally we've seen in hog prices. Uh, you know, we think that could be a big stumbling block for making any more headway to the upside. In fact, we think it might lead to a correction here into the fourth quarter. So having said that, do you get the feel that we're, we're current or getting closer to current on these animals? Uh, I think that we are. You know, I mean, I think that if you just look at how you look at the, the slaughter numbers and you start looking at, uh, everything that, that's taking place, we seem to be, you know, kind of clearing it out a little bit. Um, the issue, though, is, you know, is, 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 is domestic demand going to hold up, you know, for the, for the holiday period to handle all the animals that are going to come to the market um, and the increased weights of those animals coming to the market? So we think the throughput issue has been solved, but we don't feel, uh, but, but, we, but we do still think that the, amount of supply coming to the market now that those pipelines are more open again, the, the packing lines are more open again, are, are going to provide too much pork, and those pork prices are going to fall, leading to margins at the packing houses that kind of have forced them to pull back, as, you know, as they typically would do, you know, as they typically would do. So we just think that the throughput problem is no longer an issue, but the weight gain is now the issue that we worry about.
And two, I was understanding we shouldn't see a surprise to see more calves and feeders hitting these marketplace a little bit early, as some places have been dry and not had the feed resources. Correct. Absolutely. You know, like I said, I don't think there was anything really in the report that was a surprise on um, the cattle. I, I think it's pretty, it was pretty much, you know, expected. Um, What's the best way for folks to get a hold of you? Our website at Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. Plenty of information on there about what we do to see if we might be of help to your listeners. All right, sounds good. Thanks so much. Sean Hackett's been joining us today. Just a reminder, folks, commodity futures and options do involve substantial risk of loss. They're not suitable for all investors. That's the Monday version of the Fontenelle Final Bell. It's been brought to you by Fontenelle Hybrids and all your local Fontenelle dealers. Check it out as a podcast at ruralradio.com, wherever you subscribe, and on Spotify as well. That's the Fontenelle Final Bell on the Rural Radio Network.